welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 9th of November 2014, entitled Applying Our Hearts Unto Wisdom. And the Bible readings are taken from James chapter 4 verses 1 to 17 and Psalm 90. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Hey, James chapter 4, and if you'd like to uh, uh, hold your finger there and go ahead and find uh, Psalm 90, while you're looking for those, it's amazing, you know, how God sometimes, if, I don't know if you've ever really thought about what it's like many times for uh, the pastor when, uh, uh, you know, it's not, just the, it's not just the study, the time, the preparation that goes into preparing a sermon, uh, but every week you got to figure out what sermon God wants you to prepare before you can start preparing. And uh, that comes about in a lot of different ways. Now, like this morning, uh, we're still where we were when you left for the Pentos on contending for the faith. I don't remember what uh, what sermon we're up to now, but we're in the Genesis account right now. I think we did about the ninth part there this morning. And uh, praise God, we got a ways to go yet, but uh, we'll just uh, take it as it uh, as it comes. Well, I pretty well know from Sunday to Sunday, except when there's special occasions where I need to be studying and preparing for Sunday morning when we're in a series like that. Um, this evening, I guess I was praying about different things. Well, first of all, I'd forgotten, and uh, Steve uh, texted me, I think it was on Friday, and asked me if I was okay for the nursing home on Saturday because I was the one that was on the, the schedule for the, uh, for the nursing home this time. And uh, I had forgot until I got that text. So I'm saying, okay, Lord, you know, I need to get another sermon here real quick now. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, I had been looking at this Psalm 90, because it's a fairly familiar psalm on Remembrance Sunday. It's one of those that is often read in remembrance services and whatnot. And of course, as I began to, uh, to read through it, I'd been reading through it and, and looking at it as just one of our uh, readings as we started our remembrance service this morning. But then God began, you notice we didn't read that one this morning because began to look at this and uh, picked a few things out that we spoke on at the, uh, at the nursing home. But God, you know, again, you know, I'm, I'm not, we have a saying where, where I come from, spring chicken. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Uh, that means I'm not as young as I used to be. Uh, been around the block a few times and, uh, and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, after, after preaching for uh, however many years it is now, if I tell you how long I've been preaching, you'll know how really old that I'm getting. But, uh, uh, but anyway, it's exciting that after so many years, quite a few decades, you know, that you go to a passage that you're familiar with, that you've read and you've looked at, and you just start seeing something exciting there. And so God began to excite me a bit about this passage and just a few things. And I really, really, I said it would be short. If I shut up and get on with the sermon, it might be short. Uh, but uh, just a few very simple thoughts tonight that I want to, uh, to share with you from this passage because uh, it was an encouragement to me. I mentioned this morning that one of the times as we look around, we see all the many wars. Of course, Remembrance Sunday started after World War I uh, in remembrance of those that had fallen, that had given their lives uh, during that great war. But of course, since then, there have been many other conflicts that have been added to it. And I said it would be shocking to many people if they were to pick any day of the week, any week of the month, any month of the year, year after year after year, and just look and see how many conflicts, how many battles, how many wars are going on in this world at any given time. 
where that people are literally falling in battle time and time again. As a veteran, I made clear this morning, boy, I thank God for our men and women in uniform that are willing to go and put their life on the line that we can have our freedoms. Why do we have wars? Why is it raging? Well, we looked this morning as we went right back, continuing in our series. Again, God's timing is perfect. It couldn't have fallen more perfect because we're looking at the fall of man in the garden right now. And that's where it all comes from. Well, if you read here in James chapter 4, the Bible tells us clearly where it comes from. Yes, sin is the root of all of it. We can be proud of our men that serve. We can honor those that have given their lives. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his brother. But folks, let us not kid ourselves. War is because of sin. War is because of the fall. We looked this morning at that great passage in Micah that is prophesying that day when all of those instruments of war will be turned into something that is aiding people and helping people instead of killing people. And of course, that's during the great millennial reign of our Lord upon this earth. (laughs) There'll be no wars then. The earth will be like it was in the beginning. But as long as we're here in the flesh in our sin, James addresses this, and I'd like to just read this passage before we turn to Psalm 90. He asks the question, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust, that war in your members? We talked about that this morning, the old flesh. Why are there wars? Because of those selfish desires that is in our sinful flesh. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and destroy to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? We talked about that word enmity. God put enmity between Satan and the woman and between his seed and her seed. Here, he says, the world is enmity with God. There's a hostility there. They are enemies. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the what? Enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace Unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Go to now, ye that say, 
today or tomorrow. We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you turn back to me now with Psalm 90, keeping those things in mind that we've just read, we definitely don't have time to preach both passages tonight. But I want you to see how that passage in the New Testament relates. We see the wars and the fightings. We see the comparison of God and man. We see this great emphasis put upon the time that we have and what we're doing with it. That we don't know how much of it that we've got. That we ought to be very careful about what we say that we're going to do. That we ought to be seeking to do what God's will is. Psalm 90, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of our main passage tonight. As we read from Psalm 90, the Word of God says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Father, 
Thank you for the time that we have together this evening, Lord, and certainly as we have read in two passages here in Scripture that relate to time and the time that we have and what we do with it, that, Lord, we have a limited amount of time this evening. Lord, your word is endless. There's always something more that we could take from it. Lord, in the limited time that we have this evening, I pray that you would help us as we look here Father, to grasp those things that you would have us grasp, may the power of your Spirit make your word alive into our hearts. Lord, you know each one this evening, you know exactly what the need is. And Lord, I pray in some way that you would help us all just to leave here a bit more like our Savior than when we came. We give you the praise and thanks, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, as you can see, there are many things that could be saved, many verses here. Our focus, if you would, this evening is going to be on verse 12, which says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We're remembering those today who have fallen, whose days were cut short on a battlefield. We read some of those poems this morning in remembering that they are no longer here with us. In actual fact, God teaches us that none of us, even in both of these passages, that none of us know what tomorrow holds. But we all have a certain amount of days. He says here that, you know, if God gives you three score and ten years, you know, he he, he gives you 70 years. (laughs) As sort of a normal average lifespan, and some people might live to be 80, and of course, we know that some live beyond that. But if you live to be 100, 110, 120, he said, you know, just think in God's time scale. It's nothing. It's here, and it's gone. But each of us have this limited amount of time, and as James said, you know, we ought to say, if God will. I'll go there tomorrow, or I'll do this tomorrow. I'll be in this place or do that thing if God wills it, if God allows it. Here the psalmist, and in this case it happens to be Moses that was writing the 90th Psalm that we have read here. And of course he begins here, and I want you to notice this, that he begins in these first four verses, and I've simply It could be broken down more, but I've I've broken this psalm into three different areas. And the first one in the first four verses I simply called the fortitude of God, the strength of God, the power of God, the immortality of God, if you would. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling places in all generations. Most of you here this evening are in a younger generation. Matter of fact, there's nobody here as old as me. I'm the oldest guy in the place tonight. Wow. But you see, it doesn't matter if it's uh, my generation or your generation or the generation that's starting out that's sitting back there on the floor with little Melina or if it's my grandparents or your grandparents, great-grandparents. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter if we go all the way back. He's saying here, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations the same God, the same one God since that first man and first woman in the garden. 
Notice he says, though, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. When there was nothing else that existed, you were God. Before there was anything here called this earth, you were God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, as a watch in the night. You see, the psalmist is beginning here by showing us the strength, the power, the fortitude of God Almighty that is God, that always has been God and always will be God. I said this morning and I repeat this evening, our security, though we thank God for our men and women that are serving today, our security rests not in the strength of how many guns and planes and bombs that we have. Our strength is in God himself, God Almighty. That is our strength. That is our bulwark. That's where our security lies. So God... His fortitude, his immortality, and all this there. But then he compares that. Notice in verses 5 through 11, we see, rather than the fortitude of God, we see the frailty of man. <laughs> Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor. And sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power, thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Let me just say, what the psalmist is showing us here is on the one hand, the, we use that word omnipotent, that measureless, that fathomless power of God in comparison to our mortality, the shortness of our life, the weakness of our life, and at that, as we see here, the sinfulness of our life. The fortitude of God on the one hand, the frailty of man on the other. God that is, that created, that caused everything that is, and man whose days are numbered, and that he lives those days too often in sin, deserving the wrath of God. Notice the first word of verse 12, so. In other words, okay. So you've got this comparison. You've got God on the one hand and all of his strength, and you've got man on the other and all of his weaknesses, God in all of his holiness, man in all of his sinfulness, so. If that's the relation we're looking at, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We might say today, teach us to number our days. Lord, help us to make our days count. 
Let our lives count for something. We've, we've, we've got so few days that we tend to mess up so bad. We're so frail and we're so sinful. But God, because of who you are, help us, Lord. Help us to make our days count for you. He says that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I ask myself, how do you explain that? That we may help us make our days count, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You see, we're going to do a lot of things with our lives, but the problem is we do too many stupid things. (laughs) We do too many dumb things. We do too many silly things. We need some wisdom. We've only got a certain amount of days. And if we're going to number those days, if we're going to make those days count, we need to apply our hearts unto wisdom. That's what I've titled our thoughts tonight, Applying Our Hearts Unto Wisdom. What is he talking about when he says apply your hearts? Well, most of you would recognize the name Socrates, a great mind, a man that all those centuries ago, and yet his writings are still recognized today. Well, I wasn't there. I'm old, but I wasn't that old. And so I don't have any way of knowing except that I've read this and can only take it to be true. Socrates was recognized as a man of great wisdom. It's said that a young man came to Socrates one day and he was asking Socrates for knowledge because he knew that this man was a great philosopher and he goes to him and he says, oh, great Socrates, I I come to you for knowledge. Well, I'm just reading it as it was written. Socrates recognized this pompous numbskull when he saw him. Remember what we read about pride and humility? In other words, this guy's attitude was all been out of shape. He knew the right words. He knew what to ask for, but he led this young man through the streets and he took him down to the sea and he took him to where the water was about chest deep. And Socrates asked him the question, what do you want? Knowledge, O wise Socrates, said the young man with a big smile on his face. He knew that's what he was supposed to have. Socrates put his strong hands on the man's shoulder, pushed him down underneath the water. He held him there. 30 seconds. He let him up. He asked the same question again. What do you want? Wisdom, the young man sputtered. Oh, great and wise Socrates, give me wisdom. Socrates crunched him under the water again. 30 seconds. 35. 40. He finally lets him up and he says, what do you want, young man? Knowledge, oh, wise and wonderful. Bloop. Underneath the water he goes again. 40 seconds, 45, 50. He lets him up and he asks him, what do you want? He says, air. Give me air. I need air. Socrates says, when you want knowledge, just like you want air now, then you have a chance at having knowledge. You see, I say that because 
I think this is what he's talking about, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Too many times we think wisdom is all up here. <laughs> it's all a bunch of facts. It's all a bunch of science. It's all a bunch of this. He says, help us, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What is wisdom? You know, there's some pretty smart people in this world. J.I. Packer is a renowned theologian in his book, Knowing God, which is a tremendous book to read. He says that wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Okay? Doug Larson says wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to have been talking. Sounds like pretty good advice. One source unknown says you don't have to be listed in who's who to know what's what. Another says a wise man learns from the mistakes of others because nobody lives long enough to make them all himself. And another says a wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by nobody's experience. <laughs> a wise man learns in the experience of others. Of course, you know, most people, wisdom is a funny thing. Knowledge is a funny thing. How can we know how to use it? I, I remember, I won't tell the whole story, but I remember hearing a story. Apparently, Henry Ford, uh, the great automaker, was a pretty tightwad. He didn't like spending money for things. And he had a problem one day, and some generators or something had gone down, and, and, and he called somebody in to fix them. And the guy came in, and it only took him a few minutes, and he fixed it, and it was all back up going, and, and the factory was running again. And he got a bill for $10,000. He said, you know, you, you weren't there that long. You know, what, why are you sending me a bill for $10,000? He said, well, it was only $10 for the time. He said it was 9990 for the wisdom to know how to spend that time. <laughs> you know, so many times, you know, wisdom is something that maybe is hard to define, but it's a lot more than just a bunch of facts. I want to give you a few passages from Scripture as we think about applying our hearts to wisdom. Proverbs is supposed to be a book of wisdom. Proverbs says in Proverbs 4, says, and wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. But then it goes on. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Now this set me on a track as I began to look through the Bible. Wisdom is the principal thing, the, the, the main thing. It's, it's, it's important. Get wisdom, but all you're getting, you need to get understanding. I'm going to challenge you to do something sometime when you've got a little bit of time in your Bible study time. Take a concordance and look out that word wisdom. and Look at all the places it is in the Bible. And just look. I mean, it is a multitude of verses it seems like more of them than not, you'd never see one on their own, but wisdom and understanding, wisdom and understanding, wisdom and understanding. 
They go hand in hand together. He's saying here, wisdom is the principal thing. Get wisdom. And along with it, get some understanding, okay? How do we get it? The Bible says it's important. The Bible says that we ought to be numbering our days that we can apply our hearts into it. Well, part of the key is in Psalm 111, verse 10. A verse that's probably familiar to many of you. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then notice the same verse, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. The very book of Proverbs starts out with the very first proverb in Proverbs chapter 1. Notice that we won't read much of it, but I want you to note, you know, Solomon was supposed to be the wisest man alive, and he, God used him to write the book to pass that wisdom on. And it begins by saying, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. That's what they are. For what? To know wisdom and instruction. That's what the whole book is for. <laughs> it is the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words, same verse again, the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels to understand a proverb. And the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, verse 7 again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What was that other verse? The, begin the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see... It seems that it begins, this thing of wisdom, if we're going to make our days count, if we're going to be wise, if we're going to have the wisdom, it begins most assuredly with a fear of God. And then, them that understand it, do his commandments. Do. It's not just knowing what God says. It's knowing it and doing it. It's knowing it and applying it. Begin with the fear of God, and it ends with obedience to God. Fear of God, obedience to God. So, okay, what's fear? Well, most of the time we think of fear as shaking and being afraid. We're fearful of something. 
This word really carries a lot more with it than that. I'm, I know I've told you before and you've heard it before. It's, if you would, a, a reverential awe, a reverential trust, an awe of God, an admiration. There's so much it has to do with a willing submission to who he is because of, of who he is. I borrowed this from John MacArthur. He says, it is a state of mind in which one's own attitudes, will, feelings, deeds, and goals are exchanged for God's. But wow, that's pretty good. If it begins with this fear of God. You see, what that fear really is, when we fear God, it's recognizing God for who he is. Remember where we started? He was there before anything was there. Everything else is there because of him. We're here because of him. When we see God for who he is, when we are in referential awe and trust, you see, we willingly it's not this shaking and fear because of what he's going to do to us. We willingly submit because of who he is. Yes, in all of his power and holiness and everything, the more we see of him, the more we see who he is, the more we understand him, the more we willingly want to submit ourselves to him. You see, it's kind of like I've used the illustration. It's really kind of poor and puny in comparison. <laughs> but most little boys growing up, there's, there's nobody can do anything like their dad can do it. I mean, you know, if it's broke, my dad can fix it. If it can be done, my dad can do it better than your dad. Nothing's impossible with dad, you know. And of course, that's why I remember. Some of you know that, of course, most people know me as Larry, but if you go back to my family, they know me as Tim or Timmy or something like that <laughs> because I was little Timmy. My dad was Larry, and I was, I was little Timmy. My middle name is Timothy. <laughs> my first day of school, you know who I became? I became Larry, like my dad. You know, I used that same name. That, that was my name. I could go by it if I wanted to. But it's that all, that respect. The thing is, is that, you know, growing up, <coughs> I did have a fear of my dad and the fact that this reverential role that I wanted to please him, I wanted to submit to him, but I also knew sometimes if I was naughty, <laughs> I also knew that he had the power to deal with that. <laughs> I never questioned whether he loved me, but there was that reverential awe. He had the power and he loved me. And he would put me on the right track if I needed to be put there. You see, this fear of the Lord, it's coming to recognize and see him for who he is. And then we will want to willingly, instead of rebelling against what God's trying to do with our lives and where God's trying to get us to and what God is trying to teach us, we will submit ourselves to him if we're ever, if we're ever going to apply our hearts to wisdom. It will never begin without a fear of the Lord. 
without seeing God and respecting him for who he is and all that he is. I want you to notice the progression here as Solomon is beginning here and going through these, just these first few verses. It begins with teaching about God. Then it's learning about God. And when we learn about God and who he is, then there's the fearing of God. And from that, we begin to really know God. And only then can we begin to, if you would, imitate his wisdom, take his wisdom into our lives, to act, to be more like him. Hosea the prophet put it this way in Hosea 14, 9. Who is wise and he shall understand these things? Prudent and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the just, those people that are right, shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. I go back to this morning. There's only two teams. There's only two sides. There's only two forces that are on this battlefield. You're on one side or the other. There is no neutral territory. There is no neutral ground. The prophet is asking a question here. Who, who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know these things. He's saying the ways of the Lord, they're right. They're never wrong. It's not a sometimes. It's not a taking his opinion against somebody else's. It's recognizing God for who he is, his wisdom that comes from him, that comes from him alone. Those that are just righteous, right, if you would, will walk in God's way. There is no other. You can't be a wise person and not walk in God's ways. You're no longer wise. <laughs> you might know all about what God wants. What he's saying is that a wise person is walking there. He's living there. It's far more than just it begins with reading, hearing, being taught, learning. But as we begin to know God, it has an effect as, if it's, a, as it's applied to our lives. He said, if we are wise, we're going to understand these things and we're going to be walking right there. The transgressors, the sinners, you're one of the other folks, <laughs> You're either one of God's. You're one of those that have been justified. Or you're one of those that are still a transgressor, still in your sins. The sinners will fall in the wisdom of God. But the believer will walk in the wisdom of God. Matthew put it this way in Matthew 7, 24. He said, therefore, whosoever... Heareth these things. Who's talking here? Jesus is talking. Matthew's recording it. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, 
I will liken him unto what? A wise man, which built his house upon a rock. We sang about that earlier. Whosoever, Jesus said, whosoever hears my sayings, hears my word, and does it, is a wise man. And he is building his house upon a rock. But he gives the contrast. You see, that's what you can. You can listen to what Jesus says. You can do those things. You can be wise. Or you can also, as he goes on here, says in the next verse, he says, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat upon the house and it fell not. It was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Both people have heard. Both people have heard the wisdom of God, but only one is doing them. The one that is doing them, his house is built upon a rock, and man, the storm comes flying in, and it sets solid. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, I am not a builder. I built a few things in my life, but I'm not a builder. But even I'm smart enough to know that sand is not a good foundation to build upon. It moves. And you try to build something on it that you want to stay firm, it's going to move. It ain't going to stay firm. Well, God is lacking this whole thing. I mean, it's a very, 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 very simple and outright truth to understand. If you hear my word and do it, you are a wise person and you're building your life upon a rock that will withstand the storms of life. But if you hear them, but don't do it, you're a foolish person that's building your house upon the sand. And when the storm comes, it's going to move. It's going to fall. You see, who's wise? The one that hears and does. The one that hears and lives accordingly. Applying our hearts unto wisdom. May I kind of sum that up in a little nutshell? We can apply our hearts unto wisdom by, first of all, we have to acknowledge the truth about God. We have to see God for who he is. It begins with the fear of the Lord. It begins by reverence, by reverencing him for who he is in all of his power, in all of his glory, in all of his holiness. We'll never, ever, ever be able to be wise until we acknowledge who God really is. He's not just some power out there. You see, some people want to believe in some kind of a... <coughs> Power that had something to do, something that maybe put all this stuff into action that caused this 
bang or soup or whatever that we ended up coming out of, something, some, some, some external power. No. We're going to apply our hearts into wisdom. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God. God in all of his fullness. Acknowledge him for who he is. Secondly, not only do we acknowledge him, but we acquire the truth of God. This is the book of wisdom. Oh, yes, Proverbs is specifically a book of wisdom. And it's one of the books that I, you know, I, I recommend every teenager ought to read the book of Proverbs. I mean, they're just down-to-earth, simple things. You do this, and this is going to happen. You don't do that, and that's going to happen. You ought to do this. But, man, if you do that, it's really going to bring some bad consequences. It's cut and dried. But you see, all of God's Word is a book of wisdom. I don't want to oversimplify it. You've only got so many days. You want your life to count for something? Those that we remember today, their lives got cut short on the battlefield. But in truth, you don't know when your life will be cut off. It's even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. It's like the grass that grows up and then it's cut down and withers away and it's gone. The Bible makes it very clear. Our, our life is short. But if we recognize who God is and what we are in our frailness, then we ought to want to make our days count, whatever we've got. The only way they're going to really count is to apply our hearts unto wisdom. Acknowledge the truth about God, acquire the truth of God, and applying the truth with God. You'll never do it on your own. By God's help, through the power of the Spirit that lives and dwells within you, this book can change your life. It's got to be applied. It's not just acquiring it. It's not just hearing it. It's doing it. This is not hard. You know, sometimes we think that in order for it to be wisdom, in order for it to be wise, it's got to, you know, be 14 letters long, and you got to know all this stuff to figure out, you know, how to even pronounce it, let alone how to do it. It's simple, folks. It's not easy, but it's simple. God's wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. I'll give you this in closing. The wisest thing anybody ever does in all of their life. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know that huh, there is no other way to be saved? There is no other way. And that's the first step of wisdom that everybody has to make because, you know, we get into a lot of things, but, you know, it's a lost person in their carnal state can never understand spiritual things. But that first step of wisdom, that first step of wisdom is when we step by faith. 
and trust Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. But that's just the first step. I, I'm telling you, you know, I, I think the thing that I keep figuring out, you know, as I figure out that I don't have as many days left as I used to, and I think, you know, as I get older, you, you, you kind of hope that you get a little bit wiser about some things, but the problem is I realize more and more and more how very little that I know. God's got all the wisdom. We've got such a small amount of it. But it's his wisdom that will change our lives, not just hearing it, but doing it. Putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to salvation. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's believing this and applying this that gets you to be part of God's family in the first place. Folks, it's the same thing that will keep us going. We take it so lightly. It's there. We waste. How many days have we got? We waste this day. We waste this day. We waste this day. Lord, help us to number our days. Help us to make our days count. Applying our hearts unto wisdom. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, I fully realize that very simple thoughts, very simple message tonight that, Lord, you challenged this preacher with, and I trust and pray that, Lord, that even just a little bit of what you've spoken to my heart and challenged me with, that you've been able to speak to somebody else's heart here this evening because, Lord, I, I know, I know so well, I have nothing to give them, but your word has so much to give them. I pray that you'd help them this evening to realize Lord, whatever days they've got, they really aren't that many. We need to make them count. The only way we're going to make our days count, the only way we're going to number them to be anything worthwhile is to apply our hearts unto wisdom. We need your wisdom. We need to know what you want, and we need to do it with our lives. Help us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.